on this week's episode, what's new at CES 2022? Don't look up now, but there's a new number one on Netflix. And what's up with the Hut twins for Boba Fett? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is a very jolly Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Because they now do stars ratings. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. Vampire and Vitae, five stars, five stars. Oh my gosh, stars. Plus, if you can like, support, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports, Fantasy Football, Game Source, The Lakers Fast Break, Vampires, and Vitae, PopCultureCosmos.com, or anything that we do here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, because we are the number one tabletop RPG streamer on Facebook, and we bring you the latest news and trends in pop culture every single day at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you can support all these great things that we do all week long, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my good friend. She is a very jolly person indeed that you got to go ahead and catch each and every time out when there concerns the world of vampires and Vitae. You got to go ahead and catch her today there, plus all the things that she does on Pop Culture Cosmos, all the games that she runs including Tuesday, because he says she lets her husband Robbie run that show. <laughs> but we all know the truth, that she runs that, plus her games as well, Warlocks and Whiskey, and also as well, Wizards and Wine. Is a great person indeed. She is here late at night talking to me about pop culture. It is Melinda Barkhouse-Ross. And Melinda, good to have you back on the radio. We took some time off i did some episodes in advance but i wish you and robbie a happy new year and so glad to have you back definitely happy new year to you as well yes we're in the hot seats right now so there you go prepare for another great episode indeed it is going to be a good one we're going to be talking about a lot of great things but i also want to mention that on the back half of the show the person that sat in the hot seat before you Oh my. Marcus De La Garza is actually going to be on the back end of the show talking about The Expanse season six because he's a humongous Expanse fan. If you've been listening to the show for a while during the time he was hosting the show for a year, you know he loves Expanse. So, how has season six been going for him? He'll explain if it's been good or a bad situation going on with The Expanse as it closes out its final season on Amazon Prime. Plus, is there a future for The Expanse? And could there be a video game in the offering as well? We'll talk about that coming up on the show. Plus, Melinda and I on the back end will also talk about the successes currently on Netflix. Because don't look up now, but don't look up. 
is getting huge numbers on Netflix. And also Cobra Kai is striking fast and striking hard and showing no mercy to Netflix viewers. How much? We'll talk about both these great programs coming up on the back end of the show as well. Plus, I'm going to be talking about my time in limited fashion, of course, with all that's going on with the Omicron and coronavirus and all that, about CES 2022. I'll talk about some of the most interesting things that I've discovered and the usual stuff that I've been sent. I'll talk about that coming up here in a bit because it gets a little bit funny, a little bit offbeat. (laughs) And some of the things that I am emailed in regards to what they want me to cover is certainly a little bit on the strange side. So we'll talk about that coming up on the show as well. But first, Melinda, before we talk about the book of Boba Fett, yes. it is Morbius, which I think a little bit under the radar. It was supposed to be coming out this time next week. Yeah. But unfortunately, in the upcoming movie, Morbius got delayed to April 1st right now. So it's going to be an April Fool's joke for everyone out there. Yeah. I think it was pretty obvious that they had to do that. I think after you see this weekend, the numbers at the 355 posts, I think it would probably be strongly recommended that they should have done that too. But right now, Morbius, I think, especially with the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home has been such a huge success, now over $1.4 billion worldwide in its earnings. Sony just had really just no choice with what's going on, the uncertain future right now for the theater industry to just say, you know what, we're just going to chill Morbius out for three months more and see what happens from there. Smart move, probably, as long as they're not doing it to like recut the film, which I don't think that they are, right? That's just solely because they were reworking release dates and stuff, right? I think they're just fearful because of Omicron number. I don't think they were yeah. recutting the film. I think it tested from what I'm hearing, okay, but If they're worried about a bad film, they would have never put out the Venom movies because the Venom movies, both of them have gotten raked over the coals, but they've still gotten hundreds of millions of dollars in box office profits. So I don't think Sony's too worried about how bad or good this movie is. I just think that they were scared because, you know, if you follow a movie, even in times when it's not been the coronavirus, in January is one of the slowest months of the year for the movie industry. Yeah. And usually if a movie comes out in January, it's usually sent there because they couldn't find another place on the schedule for it. And they're usually sent to die because they have very little faith in the movie, which I'm very sad about when it comes to the 355 because it looked like it was going to be a decent movie. But they basically sent it to die, unfortunately, at the theaters. It's not going to get a big return on its investment. And I'm very sad to see that because I think it deserves a whole lot better. But when it comes to Morbius, I think what Morbius, they put it there or got moved there originally because of the fact of everything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was being bumped back. I think that they just said right now with Doctor Strange being moved to May from its original, I think, February start date. Yeah. I think that's probably the best thing for them. Yeah. yeah. If that seems to be going around right now for the movies, then yeah, um, then I'm not surprised and, and I'm not concerned. I am still very excited to go see this movie. I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be great. It's just kind of a bummer now that I've got to wait till April. I know. You and from what I hear, a lot of other people, they were really excited to see this movie. But I think it's smart for them because, again, I thought it was kind of weird that they put it in January in the first place. Because, again, January is usually a time where people don't flock to the movies. There's been very few January movie hits out there. 
And if they have been, most of them have been like leftovers from the holiday season, i.e. like Spider-Man No Way Home. Right. Which, in fact, it would probably be competing with had it come out originally next week. So I'm going to say right now it was a pretty good move. I think it was solid. Plus the uncertainty of Omicron and how everybody's kind of worried about going to theater, for instance, or going to shopping malls, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, people just be safe and healthy out there. Yeah. But it is Morbius. It's been delayed to April. What are your thoughts? Are you really disappointed, like Melinda, that it is not coming out next week? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we hit the break, I wanted to go ahead and ask you real quick, Melinda, in regards to the Book of Boba Fett, episode two, we're up to right now. I know you're still catching up on things with concerns, the Book of Boba Fett. Yes. For the most part, the episodes, because I think they were going to have a only a four episode arc, and now they stretched out to seven. I think the fact that's part of the reason why that they're delving most of the episodes in the past. Spoilers again to everybody out there. Right. They're Oops. touching on a little bit as far as what's in the his present in regards to him trying to gain control of the most Eisley territories and the, the Tatooine territories that he has. Right. That was that, you know, was the Jabba the Hutt's hold old stomping grounds. And now Jabba the Hutt's cousins, the Hutt's twins, <laughs> which were very interesting, provide a new adversary because they're trying to lay claim to the same territory that Boba Fett is. So they had a little standoff. Didn't amount to much, except for the fact that everybody's freaking out that a Wookiee is there and looking very menacing. I think a lot of people are more freaked out by him because this bounty hunter Wookiee is actually part of the Star Wars lore previously. So I think a lot of people were really excited to see him being introduced as someone who's working with the twin huts, as you could say, brother and sister. Right. It's just so really funny to see one of the huts, <laughs> the brother hut is talking to Boba Fett while he's got this like live rodent still just dangling close to his mouth. You know, he's going to eat it at some point in time, but he doesn't actually on screen, but he's still got, he's still holding in his hands. Like it's, you know, like I'd hold a cheeseburger It just like, it's just squirming all around. And it's just like, <laughs> hey. I'm going to eat you eventually. Don't worry. I'll catch up to you. He's just like uh, around this. He's using it on his head. And it's just like that wiping the sweat. And it's, like, it's, it's like so weird how they did that. But you know, it's going to end up in his belly at some point in time. Get in my belly. Uh -huh. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that portrays out as far as the, the huts are concerned and what kind of adversaries it will be. Because this is, again, a series based off of him trying to gain control of the underground of Tatooine and the criminal underground that it is. But I want to hear your thoughts on this. Most of the show was dedicated once again to his backstory about what happened after he got out the Sarlacc pit and his development with the Tusken Raiders, which included a time where he helped the Tusken Raiders in this episode. He gained more prominence within the tribe and he helped the tribe overcome adversity by actually robbing the spice train Right. That was terrorizing them on their pass-throughs and actually causing a lot of pain and grief and, and carnage to the Tusken Raiders. Uh, I want to ask you, when you finally catch up to the Book of Boba Fett, are you excited to see more about the Tusken Raiders? As I spoke to people out there, a lot of them said, I really didn't care about the Tusken Raiders and I really didn't want to know more about them. But is a deeper delve into the world of the Tusken Raiders something you wish to see? Honestly, I think I'm more curious about the twins. 
Okay. But please don't. Well, I'm sure you're going to see a lot more of them in coming yeah. episodes. Yeah. But please don't ask me to do any Tuscan Raider sound. <laughs> That's hard to do. That's hard to do, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat with everybody else. Didn't it's know fun. you need to know that much about the Tuscan Raiders. Did yeah, you? yeah, had no idea. And now it's just like, well, I guess that lives in my brain somewhere. Yeah, but he actually becomes part of the tribe, which I'm assuming is going to be something that's going to be a callback later in the series. Sure. When he's going to need their help at some point in time. But the obvious references to Dune and the influence originally for that George Lucas had from Frank Herbert's Dune is there because not only just because the fact that it takes place in Tatooine, which is very similar to the desert planet as amplified in Frank Herbert's Dune, but the fact that Spice, in this case, was such an integral part of the story arc in this episode as far as what they were after in the Spice train. So I can see the influence there that George Lucas has, and it's been mentioned by him, but you think George Lucas might have been happy about all these Dune references in this episode and how this has evolved beyond so much beyond what he originally, I think, conceived? So I don't think even he conceived that much about the Tusken Raiders and all this going on in Tatooine. Well, I think that he would have appreciated the inclusion of all of the sidebar Dune references and, and influences that were so prominent. I think he would appreciate it, to be honest. If that's, you know, a, a piece of the inspiration that he had, then, of course, why wouldn't you want to have that more in the forefront? And the again, most two episodes deals with a lot of the past that yeah. happened right after he got off the Sarlacc pit after the events of Return of the Jedi, but not in his present. Right. It's in order to obviously set up for what's to come. But are you okay with that? I mean, with as far as if you're watching through, I mean, is that something you're going to be okay with watching through and seeing most of the stuff taking place in the past tense? Yeah, I like it actually when shows do that. And I'm going to use this term and I know that I'm using it kind of incorrectly because I know it's not hundred percent, but that seems like a very Tarantino thing to do to flash back and then come back to the present and then flash back and then come back to the present, almost telling a story backwards, I suppose, is how you could look at it. It isn't Tarantino dealing with it, but it is Robert Rodriguez directing these episodes and actually playing characters in both episodes, different characters in the first two episodes he's played. So we'll see how many more characters he can play. Yeah, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Mr. Rodriguez and Mr. Tarantino. Yes, and well, John Favreau is writing this, so it's all this interesting combination. It's very interesting indeed how this is being all set up, but it is Robert Rodriguez directing this. I didn't realize he was directing it. I'm 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 even more excited. Well, he's the showrunner for this, and after he did such a great job in one of the episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, he was, I guess, presented with this, and obviously he's so far, he's done a a good job. I mean, it, this episode is much better than the first episode. It l- provides a lot more action. It provides a lot more interest. And at the very end, he becomes a member of the tribe of this particular Tusken Raiders tribe. So seeing him as a Tusken Raider, i.e. Boba Fett, as a Tusken Raider at the very end was a nice little touch there. So he's an honorary member of the Tusken Raiders going forward at that point in time. So Seeing how this series is going to end up, I'm very curious. It, it, like, again, for me, it was a slow burn. Episode one was a slow burn, but episode two, it got it, things picked up. So I'm looking forward to what I'm seeing from the Book of Boba. 
Yeah, and and to be fair too, I am seeing a lot of people who don't usually talk about geek stuff online. I'm seeing a lot of Facebook posts about, you know, I'm surprised. I actually really enjoy this. So, you know, it it, it is attracting people who aren't typical viewers of this genre as well. And I will say that reports are that it debuted about 10% higher than Hawkeye, which I know we were talking about previously about how Hawkeye didn't get off the best of notes when it comes to ratings, but it seemed to hold and actually increase its audience over the time it was out. So I'm hoping that Book of Boba Fett will do the same. So we'll see what happens with this particular Disney Plus series. But if you have thoughts on the Book of Boba Fett as we head into episode three, do you like the fact that the Tusken Raiders have become such an integral part of the story? Okay, I'll do that sound again. There you go. That's the best I can do. If if you have thoughts on the first two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, we'd love to hear them. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, I stopped by CES for a very short period of time, not my usual days and days on end there. Right. Because of what's going on with the Omicron and the coronavirus, I kind of just made a very limited appearance this year, but I've been keeping up on everything that was announced, keeping up on anything I can go ahead and get my hands on that concerns all the press releases sent to me and virtual press conferences, because over a third, I think, of these intended individual companies that were going to represent things pulled out within the past two weeks. So it was still 2000 companies that were there, but it was still going to be a lot more that were there initially. Like a lot of the big ones like Microsoft and others pulled out of CES this year. So it was sad to see that, but obviously I can't blame them. It was limited this year, but it's still got a, a number of announcements that I wanted to go ahead and touch on. The first thing that we touch on here, and I actually share this a lot on Pop Culture Cosmos and also Game Source on Facebook, is the arcade battle, the home arcade battle. And I think right now the leader in the clubhouse is Arcade 1-Up and has been since they actually introduced a lower-priced line of arcade machines. In fact, you can see it in the corner of my office. You can see what I'm talking about. Yes, so that's my that's my final fight right there that I bought originally a couple of years ago. And what they introduced this year and one of their main competitors, II Arcade, who I've interviewed on the show a couple of times. And John, the head of II Arcade has been such a tremendous interview. And I, I cannot thank enough for always stopping by when I'm inquiring. But yeah, he's done a great job on the show. But He's been trying to catch up with Arcade 1-Up has had to offer because they've exploded from the time that I originally bought that. They now have dozens and dozens of Arcade 1-Ups that they've introduced over the course of the past few years. And they've actually expanded upon that into infinity board gaming tables that you could download all the games on. In fact, they announced a Harry Potter chess for that specifically. They're working with Roll20, working with Hasbro for their infinity game table. But their main bread and butter has been the home arcades that they've tried to go ahead and sell over the course of the past few years. And I know that they announced that they've sold 3 million of wow. bad boys like these, to give you an idea. 
of how big the home arcade experience is. One thing they did this year, though, didn't announce a lot of new titles and new IPs, and neither did II Arcade. What they did was kind of like make a lateral turn, and they announced they're both putting out Premier or Pro Series units. And what I mean by that is you see the one that's right behind me, and that one right there, if you were to stand next to it, they're still not too tall. And also, they're not very well constructed. There's most particle boards and, you know, sure. it's, it's, it's made obviously with the thought of, of being at a low cost alternative in mind. Yeah. And you have to usually buy a separate stand in order to, for it to get to a decent height. Both companies, iArcade and Arcade One Up announced premier units, which are going to be at or near the size of the standard arcade machines that you would see in a regular arcade. Wow. Right now, the selections are few. One of them is coming out, Arcade One Up, with a Killer Instinct console. And the other one, iArcade, is coming out with a Dead Cells theme console. Both of them are going to have Wi-Fi, especially with iArcade, which you can download a lot of games already for your unit for an additional price. The only thing is, like the units themselves like that right now I have in mind is roughly valued, I think, around three to $400. I know a four-player version, like a new versions of The Simpsons four-player for Arcade 1-Up came out as around $500. Okay. Now they're talking about the pro units, which are going to be similar in size. I think a better joysticks, which has always been complained about, a little bit better resolution on the monitor, better sound in case of our arcade with some JBL support. Both of those units are going to be roughly around $1,000, which I think is kind of a lateral move i mean you you're basically starting to price yourself out of the regular consumer marketplace and you're going after someone who really wants to go ahead and have something specialty but i wanted to hear your thoughts on that i mean someone who just told me before we went on the air loves to play a lot of video games and having something like that spending a thousand dollars on an arcade machine really is going to be for a niche audience i think it is. And what I find interesting about when you start to get into those niche audiences, we know a thing or two about that. Let's just compare it for a second to the world of tabletop RPGs, right? You have Dungeons and Dragons, which is huge, right? But also at the same time, very niche. If you're going to do anything like a podcast or something like that with it, right? And then you take that and you boil it down again and you get down to the world of darkness, which is where Vampires and Vitae lives with Vampire the Masquerade. That's an even more niche audience. But what I have found has been that has been interesting is it is a smaller audience, but it's consistently there. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of fall off when you have those very specific, I believe the term is like a psychographic of the pre- people that you want to attract to your product. What I think is going to happen with this is there are going to be a lot of people who get this for Christmas. There are going to be a lot of people who get this for a big anniversary or a big celebration or something like that. Perhaps a retirement thing. But would Rob and I go out and buy an arcade machine that costs us $1,000? Probably not because we have way more places to put $1,000. I would stay with like the version that you have, which would make way more sense for us to have than the premium or premiere series for that kind of stuff. And if you're going to spend that much on a premier series, there are dozens of smaller companies, mom and pop companies. And I'm going to tell this because they advertise freely out there that if you want to spend a thousand, 
$1,500 or $2,000, you will get a, maybe a better built cabinet that will have or hold thousands of games on it as yeah. opposed to just two, three, or four, or one, and then you can go ahead and buy a few more with each one. Yeah. Was, I understand that Arcade 1UP and I Arcade are trying to cut into that marketplace, but to me, the prospect of being able to go ahead and if I'm spending that much, I want a lot of games to come with it already. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I really think this is a risky prospect for both. I was disappointed in the fact that I didn't see any more real IPs, new IPs that were announced for regular consumer titles out there because that's their bread and butter. I think that they should still continuously go out and find arcade titles from the past that they need to go ahead and still get. I was always mentioning the WWF arcade games from the 80s and 90s that they need to yes. go ahead and, and grab. And there's still quite a few more that they have. All they're doing right now is just rehashing Pac-Mans and Mortal Kombat's. And they're just recycling on these new units that they're announcing different versions of the IPs that they already have rights to when it concerns arcade one-up. And with IR Arcade, they're still so small that they still can't put as much money into going ahead and acquiring the same amount of IPs that Arcade 1UP has. So it was interesting to see that. I also want to go ahead and mention something that you were really into as far as is concerned, and that was the Concept NYX. It looks like a big tower PC, but it actually what it does is it allows you from any room in the house for as many players as you want, all playing different games simultaneously off of one unit. And you saw this and you were just floored. It's a concept yeah. right now from Alienware, but it's something that I would be very excited about if it comes to pass. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, I don't have a lot, Gerald, but what I do have, I am more than happy to put up as like a down payment on one of these things for whatever okay, they come out. I'll let Alienware know. Yeah, I have three ring lights that I'm willing to donate to whatever project they're working on to make this thing happen. I need to have this in my life because Rob and I were just talking the other night about we've been playing through Diablo 3 again. And uh, I was like, you know, it's, it's going to be really tough when Diablo 4 comes out because we're going to be fighting over who gets to play. And then he was like, no, because we have a second unit here on loan from a friend of ours. And he was like, we'll just set that up with another TV and then we'll be able to game together. And I was like, yeah, but why isn't there just something that allows you to take a one-player game when you're in the same house and make it a two-player? Well, this is the answer. This is the thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm absolutely. so I cannot wait. This is my answer. Come on. Come on. I'm hoping it does come to fruition. <laughs> please make uh, it happen. Please, for Melinda's sake, Alien Wars, make it happen. Yes. Gerald, I know you know people. Make it happen. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> a couple other things I wanted to go ahead and pass among the many things that I was offered. I want to say that I was impressed with the Samsung Freestyle, which will be coming out, which is a spotlight. And what it does is around $900 pre-order. But what it can do is not only is it a smart home speaker, not only is it like having an Alexa, but it's also like allowing you as a projector to project Anything as far as from a screen, as far as what you've got, Netflix, Disney Plus, any type of video on any wall in the house, just like a regular projector does, but it does in such high def quality that really is going to go ahead and transform the way you view things so that maybe the future of television will expand beyond what it is now. So it was something really interesting. A lot of people are really excited for it. And then last but certainly not least, among all the major announcements, because there were dozens and dozens 
among them that I got in my inbox were regarding the latest in smart toilets, smart cribs. And I go ahead and I register. I tell CES exactly what specifically I'm interested in. Gaming, audio and video, consumer electronics. I know that it's just a waste of my time because I get emails <laughs> from everyone that's attending the show or to cover anything. And it's just, right. it's ridiculous. Again, just so wild and crazy stuff. But the last thing I want to cover is PSVR 2. Yes. PlayStation's VR 2 was announced officially, something everybody knew that was happening. It had to be an updated version of PlayStation VR. They are the best-selling VR unit that's out there. They've sold several million units, and they presented PSVR 2 as something that's going to have less cords, have a higher definition, better sound, better controls. You won't use those old PlayStation Move controllers. It'll have your own separate controllers that are a little bit more functional. Did showcase a little blip of the Horizon VR game that's going oh. to be an offshoot of Horizon Forbidden West. So that's going to be something that a lot of people want to check out because, yes, it is coming out supposedly later this year. And it's supposed to only work with the PlayStation 5. So you want PlayStation 4 owners be able to have access to PSVR 2 if that's the case. So, But anything that stuck out to you in this year's CES before we head to the break? Well, just the concept do everything everywhere in your house i want that that there was a lot of that there was a lot of smart Please. hole controls as far oh, as whether you man. take a tablet and just controls everything in your house yeah. oh yeah. that's great stuff i, I mean got... it's also a little bit terrifying because we all know that computers sometimes have a little bit of a mind of their own i can't imagine just giving my house over to ai but <laughs> you, uh, know. you know arnold schwarzenegger he's going to be taken over soon so <laughs> before you know it right yes absolutely indeed it'll be the terminator all over again but just a lot of interesting things to see and again if you can go ahead and check out many of the articles that i posted this week at pop culture cosmos on facebook a lot of press releases a lot of the information a lot of the articles that are there covering this week at ces so if you're interested check it out plus also if you have any questions for me or thoughts on ces that you were interested in Maybe the smart pillow, maybe the smart toilet. Who knows? <laughs> Anything that piqued your interest, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, it's Marcus De La Garza. He's going to be talking about The Expanse, season six. It's almost wrapped up. It's finale season. But is that all for the universe of The Expanse? And has Marcus enjoyed his time so far with the final season of The Expanse on Amazon Prime? That's coming up after the break. And then Melinda and I will be on the back end of the show talking about the successes of Netflix right now for Cobra Kai and Don't Look Up. This is the PC Multiverse. And if you're ready to talk toys, I haven't stopped talking toys. Let's get to it. It's the Jay and Rob Toy Show, and we're back for season two for 10 more episodes of Toy Talking Goodness. And this time, we talk Marvel figures, we talk DC figures, holy grails, play sets, what if scenarios, and so much more. But we're not alone. We've brought a few friends with us this time. All that, and of course, our action figure spotlight. So check out the Jay and Rob Toy Show season two, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Thank you for following us, liking us, whatever you do to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is the expanse. This wide-ranging science fiction series, which once had its start on the Sci-Fi Network and then got picked up by the Amazon Prime outlet and had a new life. It had a 
big time life in season five and things were looking really good for Expanse fans and everybody was really hoping for a climactic season six that would go ahead and just cement The Expanse as one of the premier science fiction series of all time on television. I know a lot of fans out there were hoping for that. Did they get it? Well, we got the best and the biggest Expanse fan right here. You heard him for over a year as the fellow host of the PCC Multiverse every Friday. It's a tremendous honor and pleasure to have returning to us the man indeed. You got to go ahead and catch him on Instagram at CastleFPV on Instagram and the Twitter. He's still out there tweetering along and Instagramming along. Got to go ahead and check out what he's doing as far as his drone action and all that great stuff that he does. It is Marcus De La Garza. And Marcus, great to have you back on, my friend. It's good to hear you. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's great to be back. And it's great to be back here with the PCC family, man. It's It's been too long. And I'm so glad that we're getting this opportunity to, to talk the expanse tonight because I, I know it's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. I mean, I could talk all day with this man when it concerns the expanse. Ted Lasso, NASCAR, because he's our expert on each. But there's a lot of things going on with each and every one of those universes. But that's for another day. Today is all about The Expanse. The first thing I've got to ask you as a super fan who is just on the show over the course of the year that we were working together, really expounded the virtues of the series, was truly happy with the way it initially jumped over to Amazon Prime and where the series could go. And when you heard that this would be the final season, you were okay with it. You weren't too sad about it. Yeah. You thought, okay, it's a pretty good six seasons. I think I can handle with that. I mean, you could extend it further, and we'll talk about that here in a sec. But the series, for all intents and purposes, for now, could be done. So I want to hear your thoughts on season six, a total Expanse fan. So we do have two more episodes to go. We've got January 7th this Friday and then January 14th as well for episode five and six. But yes. we are four episodes into season six, and I do have to say it's been a bit of a letdown for me. Now, oh. I'm not going to go as... Yeah, I know. I'm not going to go as far as like season eight Game of Thrones, but it's definitely had its moments where it's like... Yeah, don't we... go there with Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah, gets yeah. a lot of people mad. Oh, yeah. It's definitely had those moments where I'm I'm sitting back looking at the mass amount of storylines that are left to be discussed and the things that really are going to kind of die in this universe because we just don't have the time left to tell these stories. So it's been a little bit of a shock there to see how we are moving this storyline forward and really trying to wrap things up as we come down the last two episodes here. But what's really left me wanting more is the directing style across the first few episodes. You know, episode one, episode two, we had two different directors, Breck Eisner and then Jeff Wolno. I they had their issues right away. You watched Battlestar Galactica, right, Gerald? I did. You know the the season where guys... Uh, unfortunately, both the old and the new series. That tells you how old I am. Well, all right. So do you remember in the new series when Gaius Baltar is going up his legal issues and whatnot? And the directorial style there got a little bit weird. We were doing like a reality kind of shot at times. And that's really what it felt like at weird points in episode one and, and at points in episode two. So it didn't feel like we were shooting something that was on a stage and like, we weren't really privy to everything. It, it kind of felt invasive at times. And I don't know if that's just some of the choices that are being made for the storyline. You know, the the Rossi's out on the float chasing down pirates right now and, and free Navy members. And, and it's it's been a lot and very trying for the crew. You know, when we catch up to them, they look pretty haggard. 
you know, they're on a six month run now of chasing down pirates and basically executing them at this point. So it's been quite the storyline, but I will say that, you know, we've been missing one of the members of our family here, Alex Kamal, the ship's pilot. And it's been hard to kind of watch the family grow, you know, and I'm, I'm referring to the ship, you know, crew as a family, but the family really has had to grow and come back into the fold, you know, with each other. And there's been growing pains even in that respect. So it's been interesting to watch, you know, how changing the storyline from the book to the TV show and killing off our pilot, what kind of an impact that's had. But it feels like it had to happen, right? And, and the showrunner, Narin Shankar, came out and said, you know, when we lost Alex at the end of last season, hey, this has been a very hard-fought battle to this point with the main antagonist for last season. And unfortunately, there would be a cost associated with these battles. And saying that, he justified our loss of Alex. And there were some other real-life things going on that may have influenced that decision, even if the studio never came out and said them. But, you know, we lost him as, as a member of the cast. And it, I think it's had a bigger impact on the storyline than we thought it would this year. That's a shame because you want the series to finish up well. You wanted to see, you see it finish up strong, especially with a good whole season ending or series ending arc. You wanted to yeah. go ahead and be able to finish off what it's out to achieve. And I think that hearing you and also seeing the reactions online are very similar Obviously, people are not exactly thrilled, kind of disappointed so far from what they've seen from the last season of The Expanse. I want to ask you this, because it's not heading in the right direction with two episodes left in the season. Where do you want the series to go? I mean, what do you want it? Do you think that it's really not covering that well? Or do you think that maybe a season seven should be in the offering simply because of the fact that it's not being able to go ahead and tie up all these loose ends? Not trying to make the Game of Thrones fans mad here, but if we do a season seven, it's going to go akin to Game of Thrones season eight, where, you know, that entire dumpster fire really didn't do well. You know, we were all watching it, but we all had complaints about it, you know. <laughs> that, that we was, did. Yeah. So I really hope we don't do a season seven of The Expanse. You know, as much as I love this show, I think that the decision has been made at a high enough level that we're done. But I do hope that maybe 10 years from now, we can pick up the series again and, and maybe rehash it or pick up from where we left off. There are some storylines that in the book series that, that last for decades. And so, you know, there, there's a possibility there that we could revisit this and revisit it at a different point in time and, and really chase some things down here. Where would um, you go exactly? Let's say Amazon came to you and said, Marcus, we want you to run what's left of the Expanse IP. Let us know. Do you want to return to this in five to 10 years? We'll let you start now. Slowly develop a series we'll come back to. Where would you go from here? So one of the big storylines for the season is Laconia, this new world beyond the ring gates. And so we've got the Laconian Empire that's mixing in with the Free Navy. And I think we've done a really bad job of describing how impactful that Laconian Empire has been to the success of the Free Navy and the coming success of the Free Navy up until a certain point. So I, I think I would really fully flush out that Laconian storyline and, and maybe even take us into really a spinoff at that point. Let's leave the Rosinante, the, the crew behind, the family behind, and let's look at this from a, a Martian point of view slash Laconian point of view and, and really dig deep here on this alternate storyline and talk about how the proto-molecule came from somewhere and somebody weaponized it. So, I mean, we could really, really dig deep into that storyline, talk about that history, how the new Martians came to Laconia and, and they're now uh, co-opting that proto-molecule tech and building out really aggressive warships. Well, it is sounding like you are not exactly pleased with how this series is ending up. 
I'm really sorry for you on that because again, you've had such high hopes. You, someone who has followed the series from day one on yeah. the Sci-Fi Channel, and as someone who was part of that eclectic mix of people that just loved the series from the get-go, it wasn't enough to sustain or keep itself on the Sci-Fi Network. But again, found a new life in season five. It was actually a big success for Amazon Prime. Amazon themselves lauded it very much as far as the success and the numbers are concerned. I think even they were surprised as far as how much the series itself got noticed once it went on Amazon Prime. I think that's a test to the fact that they need a lot of content on Amazon Prime and the fact that you have 200 million users for Amazon Prime. Yeah. So who are finally discovering now the video portion of the Amazon Prime experience, because, you know, for many years, I've said that it's just has been this thing that they've kind of just you know, swept under the rug and kind of disregarded for so many years. Then they brought out the Marvelous Miss Maisel, the boys, all these great shows that they now have on there, Invincible. And then you're seeing the expanse coming over there. It's like, oh, wow, we've got some pretty decent stuff there. So. Going forward, obviously, you said that, you know, you're hoping that they'll be able to tie some of the knots in the final two episodes and be able to close this out a little bit stronger. I know that what you're hoping for, but I know that you're, you know, what, in two hours, you're not going to be able to get a kind of resolution for everything that you really wanted to set out to watch. Right. But there's one thing that may hold hope for you that has been confirmed, and that was announced at the Game Awards back in early December. Yeah. And that was, it was, it was, no, there was 50 games almost that they announced during the course of that period of time and updates or things of that nature that they talked about. But one of the games that they showed, of course, no gameplay, was a game based on The Expanse itself, that they're continuing that on as far as that IP in its own world. Didn't come out with actually any type of gameplay footage, but very few of the games that are actually introduced did seems to be the case they always give you that cinematic trailer that they always throw out at you which represents nothing of the game when it finally comes out but i'm hopeful for the game because it you know the cinematic trailer did look decent decent the engine that that's being based off of i believe it's the unreal engine that they're working off of so it looked solid looked good so your initial thoughts on this does it get you excited about playing the expanse game and continuing this ip further possibly even holds out hope that if it's so popular it could continue the series. Looking at the game, it's following a, a character, Kamina Drummer, who plays a pretty significant role in the books. She's actually called by a different name, Michio Pa. And so Michio Pa becomes the pirate queen in the books. In the TV show, it's it's Kamina Drummer. And so the game by Telltale Games is actually going to be following Kamina Drummer and, and all of her activities as the pirate queen so and i think it's the build-up to her becoming the pirate queen and everything thereafter but really looking forward to the possibility of this video game man and it's it's a telltale games production and i'm, I'm really looking forward to that I, i've enjoyed the batman series that I, i've played from them and uh i i can't you know can't wait for this video game you know when you sent me the the article about it and i started looking at the just the cinematic trailer and everything I, I was excited. I was jazzed. And I think what it does is it does allow us to step into a different medium for a while. It seems like Amazon Prime Studios is unwilling to keep throwing the mass amount of money that's needed to keep this production running. And I mean, I'll be the first one to admit this is a lot of money being thrown at CGI for each one of these seasons. And I understand why they had to do a six episode final season. 
but I'm hoping that maybe transitioning to a different medium via video games, we can tell the story and, and really dive deep and maybe into some of the Laconia stuff that I was just talking about previously about how we could keep the series alive or how I'd rehash it, you know, in the future. But to me, the possibility of, of taking this video game series and, and building out three or four more games and eventually a movie or another TV show reboot in another five or six years. Great. I, I think this is a, a great possibility. When you look at the books themselves and there's a, a book that just came out back in November or the end of November, beginning of December. And, and I, I can't bring myself to read it. It's the second last book in the series. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things that I, I think there's a lot of us out there that are really, really waiting for the game and the potentiality that the game brings. So really looking forward to it, Gerald. It's, it's going to be a good time. And, and like you said, it's built on the Unreal Engine. It should be visually stunning. And the fact that you'll be able to kind of make your own decisions and, and progress through the game is going to be a, a huge selling point for a lot of people, I think. And you're exactly right. It is from Telltale Games. So it is going to be story-based. It's going to be narrative-based, which a lot of people are very familiar with, like you said, with the Batmans, the Walking Deads, uh, all the different famous IPs that they've actually instilled games for, uh, and also their own creations like The Wolf Among Us, which is a highly underrated game. And I truly recommend that for people out there that love Telltale Games and love those kind of narrative games, especially, you know, you making a choice on next moves that you're going to make. And it is going to be something that I think is going to be cool to have. I'm kind of worried that this should be also a game that you should be able to explore the galaxy. You should be able to go ahead and not just interact, but also be able to go ahead and face off against different factions that you do in the expanse. I'm hopeful that you'll be able to do that, but that would require something that Telltale Games doesn't really go heavily into. They're more of the narrative, you make a choice, A, B, C, or D, that type of deal, instead of you going out and and pew pew all over the place and, and deal with that way. But it's going to be very interesting. It's like it takes one part of the Mass Effect series and it takes that narrative part and does that really well. And there are very few companies that do it any better than Telltale. So I'm very interested to see how much of the lore from the books or the television series they take from that and be able to build it in its own game. But this leads me into my one of my final questions for you, my friend. It is Marcus de la Garza talking about the Expand Season 6 and where the Expand series can go. And you talked about how expensive it is for Amazon Prime to produce these series, and that's one of the reasons why Sci-Fi, with the middling ratings that it had on Sci-Fi, one of the reasons why Sci-Fi made the call to cancel The Expanse in the first place after four seasons was because of the expense that The Expanse has. See? The Expanse? expanse. <laughs> Could this be a precursor as far as the expanse is concerned for them setting up for something larger in an Amazon prime sci-fi series, because it's been heavily rumored and it's something I don't like to report on rumors, unless I know that a lot of other individual outlets that are reputable actually start reporting on it, like IGN variety and deadline, et cetera, mm-hmm. that they're all reporting that Amazon is circling around a mass effect series. So could what they have learned from The Expanse and working on that series as a sci-fi as a sci-fi narrative help them create a better Mass Effect series if that should come to pass? Absolutely. And I think you would die if they did that. <laughs> well, like, I've already said it on the show. That would be just amazing. Yeah. I think uh, that my long time ago when we first started having those conversations, even before you came on to the PC Multiverse with Josh, you know, it was all about movies. And I yeah. said, oh, this would be a great movie trilogy. 
if you just base it off the games or a lot of the, the narrative from the games, but you couldn't really go into the lore of Mass Effect. Well, here you have an opportunity with a Mass Effect series to go deep into the lore. The question is, like you're asking yourself with The Expanse, how much of the lore are they willing to go into in order to create a good series? That's my question as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be very expensive to do, but if they do it right, it'll be done well, and they'll have 200 million people waiting to watch this. I think that there are a lot of lessons learned, especially in the CGI department, I think, when it comes to some of the things that they've done from season five to season six. You've seen that they're... It's not like they're cutting corners, but you can tell they've gotten wiser on how to shoot certain things and how to find ways to obscure things via a nice CGI shot, you know, of, of a spaceship just floating through, you know, the galaxy. I think there's a lot of room for Amazon to build out a great Mass Effect series. And honestly, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how do you best set yourself up from an architectural standpoint for success long term? And that's something the Expanse never considered, I think, you know, when it was on sci fi. NBC was giving them enough money to keep that thing going for a certain run of time there. And eventually they, they had to stop and, and was for good reason. I mean, costs were just ballooning. They were shooting in Toronto. They were shooting on multiple, you know, CGI stages. I mean, it, it just, it got crazy. And I think it's continued to do that. So I think one of the big lessons here is if, if Amazon studios wants to do more sci-fi, you've got to set up the infrastructure out the gate. You've got to set up the, limitations out the gate because if not it will grow unchecked and that's what the expanse did to its own detriment my friend it's been great talking to you as always i just cannot thank you enough for stopping by gotta come back for thoughts on nascar also as well gotta come back on thoughts on ted lasso if the expanse rears its head once again in a dominant fashion i know i'm gonna ask you to come back on but you're always welcome. The red carpet is always open for you. If you ever have time, please stop on by the Cosmos once again. Well, I appreciate that so much. And thank you to the PCC family for having me back tonight. It was a good time talking about The Expanse and look forward to our next episode, man. Absolutely. Looking forward to our next conversation in pop culture right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. And we're back with the show. It's the PC Multiverse. Want to thank so much Marcus de la Garza for being on the program today. But before we head on out, Melinda, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. The world seems to rotate around Netflix. It does, right? How do you go from bailing out DVDs <laughs> to the Goliath that Netflix is now? It's crazy, right? And offering yourself to Blockbuster getting turned down and then becoming this big behemoth. Right, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> and why are we lauding Netflix so much? They have the most viewers by far. The Lost Daughter is doing well on Netflix. You obviously have Red Notice. It's done a tremendous job. 
Their number one movie right now is Don't Look Up. In the past week, 150 million hours have been watched around the world. It may be on its way becoming the most popular movie, surpassing Red Notice. And special props to Cobra Kai because they're the number one television show. Yes. With over 120 million hours watched. And they've gotten a renewal for season five that was announced this week. I thought the back end of the episodes were really good. I thought it closed down a nice cliffhanger. Took for me a little bit of going through the Melrose Place, 90210 <laughs> style relationship yeah. saga stuff on the front end. But your thoughts on all this stuff on Netflix. I mean, you were talking about how you've got a viewer in the house that didn't even know she liked Cobra Kai. And all of a sudden she's hooked. Yeah. So my mother-in-law is a wonderful, lovely older woman. And she decided one day that she was going to sit down and she's going to rewatch the Godfather movies. No, they're not on Netflix. So she watches the first two and she's like, you know, I just need something a little bit lighter. So she puts on Cobra Kai. It was three o'clock in the morning before she got some sleep because she just binged it. And now that's all that's on our TV for the majority of the day. It's crazy. It has definitely caught her and it's got her in her Cobra Kai net. And she is not getting out of it. She is perfectly happy to be watching that show. Sony, who actually produces this, decided to go ahead. Okay, we'll make a deal with Netflix. And wouldn't you know, they've reaped a lot of fortune from Netflix. And now the series is more popular than ever. It's amazing to see where this has come from. Again, I've never been a fan of the Karate Kid series, but this came out and this rocked my world <laughs> when yeah. I first started watching it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's about eight different directions that I want to go from here. Okay. So one of them is not directly Cobra Kai related, but the smartitude, I guess I'm making a word and it's going to fit in this conversation of Netflix. When Disney said, you know what, we're going to take all of our stuff. We're going to start our own streaming service. Netflix was like, cool. Don't worry about it. Thanks for all of the fun. And they went and they just got a whole bunch of anime. And then they found the Tiger King. They put the Tiger King on just as the world shut down. Then they hurried and they got a whole bunch of anime dubbed and put that on Netflix. If Netflix isn't one of the reasons why anime is so much more mainstream right now, I would be shocked. Shocked, I tell you, if that wasn't one of the answers that people were like, no, I just found this stuff on Netflix and loved it. So smartitude, Netflix. I like it. Smartitude, indeed. AMC just bought the anime streaming service High Dive. Yeah. And they spent a ton of money on that. So now they're getting into the mix because of what they saw with the success of Netflix. Yeah. Netflix has overcome all the stuff, like you said, when Disney yeah. pulled out, when the Marvel stuff stopped showing on their screens, when The Office, which was their backbone yes. of their growth, their early growth, The Office was the backbone. When that left, they each and every time have been able to recover and thrive with their own original programming from it. And it's just been amazing to see how they've been able to do. And I, I give all the props to Netflix. You know, I wasn't so high on Netflix over the course of the time, but I have grown to appreciate the brilliance of Netflix. Like you said, smartitude indeed, because it is something that everybody has to go ahead and, and pay homage to. But you got to hand it to them. They have done what everybody ask these streaming entities to do and they throw content whether you like it or you don't like it they throw a lot of fresh new content along with a lot of older repeated yep. content that still people love to watch 
Yeah, absolutely. That was one thing that I wanted to say. Another thing was they were talking specifically about the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. They were talking about how traumatizing it would have been as a kid who would spend all of this time in dojos learning and being disciplined and you're up for the <laughs> the big match and it's some kid who just walked in like six months ago and decided he was going to learn and then he comes onto the mat and he kicks your butt how is that kid not the villain of the story how is it the kid who's been training for years and years and years <laughs> well spoilers to everybody out there who was the real villain of season one? Right. Ralph Macchio. Exactly. And William Zapka, who was the villain, Johnny Lawrence, in the movies. Right. Total flip from what you right. knew. That's why I really started to like this show. Yeah. Because it took everything I know and didn't appreciate and didn't care for and turned it on its head and made me appreciate it for what it was. So they've done a great job. Again, over 120 million hours viewed last week. And then Don't Look Up, which is on its way to becoming one of the most popular Netflix movies of all time. It does make a statement. People are watching it. And again, that's really with this all-star cast, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And it's satire. And because of that, I haven't watched it yet. Because when I do a lot of my TV watching, like at bedtime. So I, I haven't managed to do that yet. But I do know there is one day next week, Gerald, there's one day where I have the house to myself. And I don't have any gaming stuff to do. <laughs> There's one day next week. And I'm going to dedicate that to getting caught up on a lot of these shows. Because holy okay. smokes. Holy so, okay, so when you're watching, like you said, when you're catching up in bed. Hey, Robbie, Robbie. Look. Oh, Does yeah. that happen a lot? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it has actually made horror movies a little bit more scary. Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just every once in a while he does this really sharp inhale and it always happened when something terrifying was happening <laughs> oh my gosh bless his heart i've got a similar story but i'll just leave it at that yeah. <laughs> okay fair enough in our household but <laughs> that is the crazy households of the rosses and the glassfords in regards to netflix watching right. but if you have any thoughts on don't look up and also as well cobra kai strike fast strike hard no Mercy with Cobra Kai. They're both the number one TV show and number one movie on Netflix. Are you really liking what you're seeing from both? Did you get a chance to catch it? Because if you got Netflix, pretty sure you did. Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. My friend, it's been a great episode. I guess I've been entertaining you, Melinda, because you've been laughing throughout. I'm so. not going to lie. I just laughed so hard I fogged up my glasses. <laughs> oh, there you go. Pat myself on the back for that one. Well done. <laughs> Any last thoughts before we head on out? Yeah, just make your phone call to the Alienware people and get that concept thing going, would you? I volunteer as tribute. I will test all of your stuff. I got you. <laughs> This weekend, I'm hoping I can get our good friend from Australia, Ben Arnaud, to sit in the hot seat. I'm trying to also get Robbie Ross to go ahead and sit in the hot seat as well. It's Let getting him to sit down. That's the problem. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> you would know more about that than I would. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't okay. keep him still, but I, I will right. do my best. All right. I will but we're... look at his schedule and let you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. And that's for the Pop Culture Cosmos because, again, Josh, our good friend, is still out on paternity leave. I'm hoping everything is okay with him and the family. I know he's got a beautiful young one that's on the way. So I'm wishing him continued health and happiness for the entire family. And also yeah. continued health and happiness for every one of our listeners and viewers out there. We truly appreciate you following us and watching us. We're 
heard on over 50 radio stations worldwide and we cannot thank enough because you are every bit a part of the pop culture cosmos as well. And I fogged up her glasses way too yeah, you're, you're so emotional. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> so for the emotional Melinda Barkhouse Ross, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great